This audio podcast is from the River Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope God uses it to encourage and grow your relationship with Christ. For more information about the River Church, visit us online at theriverdfw.com or facebook.com backslash theriverdfw. So we are today, we are starting a new series. Last week we finished up Luke chapter uh, or excuse me, last week we finished up our Church Word series with communion. I hope that you guys uh, had a great time that day. It was a special day for me. I think it was a special day for our church family. We even brought in, if you were here, remember, we brought in all the little kids and that was it was crazy. And everybody that I talked to said it went really well, but I didn't actually talk to anybody that had their kids with them. So I don't know. I hope it was good. But it was such it was such a cool day, such a special day for us as a church. And so we finished up uh, Church Words, Taking Communion. And today we start a new series in Luke chapter 15. Uh, that's going to be a three-week series. And we start off today with a story about a hero. We're going to be talking about a hero. And, and I think as I was thinking about this series, um, we love our heroes, don't we? We love superheroes. We love our Batman, Superman, Spider-Man. We love Superwoman. She's coming up strong these days, right? We love all of our, we love our heroes. And like, we love our superheroes so much that if I were to like say who was the best superhero, we would probably have a fight about it in here today. Don't you think? Like there would be some people with such strong opinions that they're literally going to be fighting about it, arguing about it, debating about who's the best superhero. And some of you guys don't even care. Right. But then there's most people are going to fight tooth and nail about we, we love our heroes. Right. And, and just in case you were wondering, the best superheroes are Batman and Wolverine. Those are the two best. If you don't agree with that, you're wrong. You're wrong. OK, so just so you know, but we love our heroes. Right. We love our heroes, and we don't just love our superheroes, but we love stories about heroes. We love movies about heroes. We love uh, we love war movies that feature the hero that goes behind enemy lines to save the stupid private that got lost. Y'all remember that one? The idiot that got lost. That, but no, we, we love the story about the one that goes and saves no matter against all the odds to go and save the innocent victim who is lost on their own, who needed help all by themselves, don't we? We love the story about the hero. We, we don't just love the stories about the heroes. We love to have heroes, right? We love the heroes in our lives, our moms, our dads, our parents, people who raised us, people who are fighting things, people that we believe in. We have, we all, if I asked you, who's your hero? And you might say Batman. But if I said, no, who's your, who's your hero? You would probably have a list of people that you could name off and say, my mom, my dad, this person, that person, they're, these are my heroes. I, I have a, a newer hero these days. Joel and I were talking about him the other day, a guy named Brian Stevenson, who uh, I, I listened to his TED Talk a few months back. You should go listen to it if you haven't. And then we got to hear him speak at this conference. And then I, of course, then I grabbed his book. And the guy's amazing. And he's quickly becoming, as I was reading the book, I was telling Kate, I said, this guy's quickly becoming one of my new heroes. He's amazing. I'm going to tell you a whole lot about him, except that he's a lawyer, which kind of goes against the whole hero grain, right? Um, I'm sorry if there's any lawyers in here today. I'm just kidding. We love you. We need you. Don't forget to tie it. Right? Um, <laughs> this is not going well. Um, but anyways, he's a lawyer who fights injustice through his, through the law. And so anyways, he's quickly become becoming a hero of mine, but we love our heroes. We love people who will sacrifice themselves for the cause. We love people who will sacrifice themselves, risk their lives, risk themselves for the worthy, 
for the for the hopeless, for the needy, for someone who can't do it on their own. We love our heroes because they make us believe in something bigger. We love our heroes because they make us believe in something better. We love our heroes because they make us believe that at the end of the day, no matter what happens, good defeats evil. And honestly, we love our heroes because they give us something to aspire to. They give us something that that we believe that we can be. They give us something that makes us want to be better than what we are, right? We love our heroes because they make us believe that we can be more than who we are, that we can make a difference. We love our heroes because they save the helpless, they save the hopeless, they save the innocent, right? But what if, I want to ask you this question though, what if we look at our heroes and we look at the people that they're saving and we realize that the people that they're saving don't deserve to be saved? Matter of fact, we look at the people that our heroes are saving and we're going, the world would actually be a lot better off if you would just maybe let them not be saved. Like, like KKK members, like terrorists, like the worst of the worst. Like if we looked at our heroes and we're going, uh, Superman, Batman, Wolverine, the guy that you're saving doesn't deserve to be saved. The world would actually be a lot better off if you just let him go away. So how about we just not do it, right? What if we looked at our heroes and we looked at the people that we, they were saving and we went, they don't deserve it. They're awful people. Just let them go, man. Just let them go. How would we feel about our heroes then? huh? Like, like what, it, what, what would that say about our heroes to us? And even more, what would that say about us and the way that we see our heroes and the way that we see the world around us? What if the people that the Batmans, the Supermans were saving, we looked at and were like, Batman, that's the Joker. Don't save him. He's the enemy. I think that would change the way that we see our heroes, right? And today, today is our story begins with Jesus talking to two different groups of people. One group of people are the people that he's trying to save, and the other group of people are looking at the people that he's trying to save and going, Jesus, let them go, man. They don't deserve it. They're not worthy. As a matter of fact, Jesus, that's the enemy of what we're trying to do here. And so let's jump in and let's take a look at our hero today and the people that he's trying to save. And maybe as we look at the people he's trying to save, we might go, uh, that may make us look at our hero a little bit differently. So I'm going to jump in. We're going to be in Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 1. And, and what we're going to do is we're going to look at who showed up, who who's on the scene, who are we even talking about today, right? Says verse one says all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. So here we have Jesus. He's teaching. He's preaching. We have these tax collectors. We have these sinners. They're showing up in the crowd. They want to hear what Jesus has to say. And it says, and the Pharisees and scribes are complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so we have one group of people who's showing up, who's hearing what Jesus is doing, and then we have this other group of people, these religious folk, who are looking at who Jesus is spending his time with and going, Jesus. What are you doing? Do you know who these people are? And I know that seems harsh that they would be, because we're like, you know, we're 2,000 years later on this, and we can look back at it and we're like, oh, those people are jerks. But let's, let's look at them a little bit deeper. Let's, let's look at these, these Pharisees and the scribes, and maybe if we understood who they were a little bit more, maybe we'd actually be on their side a little bit more, huh? Maybe we might relate, maybe we might relate to what they got going on, right? 
So we had these Pharisees and scribes, and we talked about them a lot in uh, the, as we walked through the book of John. But let's just kind of step back and give another uh, let's let's give another snapshot. Let's look at, give you quick notes on who they are. These Pharisees and these scribes, these religious people, these are the religious elite. If, if they were, if there was Christianity at the time, they would be the best of the best of the best Christians in the room. Like they would be, I'll be honest with you, they would be better than me. They would have all the rules down, all the regulations down. They've got it down to a T. They are perfect in following the rules. They are the best of the best of the best. Like your best day, you're like not even close to them. I know that sounds mean, but like that's for me too. Right? They are the best. Like this is how good of Christians these guys were. By the time they were 13, they would have had the whole Torah memorized. You know what the Torah is? That's the first five books of the Old Testament. If you have your Bible today, look at the first five books of the Old Testament and just try to remember some of that. By the time they were 13, what did you do by the time you were 13? I mean, I think I might have still been wet in the bed. You know what I'm saying? Like, I hadn't accomplished much by the time I was 13, yet these guys had the whole, the first five books of the Old Testament. Like, I don't even know, like, I was trying to think about this, about what I've memorized lately, like how much scripture I've memorized lately. And the only thing I could think of that I've memorized lately was the Chick-fil-A menu. And that's like for self-preservation. You know what I mean? Like, and it's only the things that I like. It's not even the whole menu. You know what I mean? Number three, eight count. Polynesian sauce. So we have the best of the best of the best of the best. They've been practicing their whole lives to be the best religious people they can be because they think that they're serving God that way. They think that they're doing, the, not, they think that they're helping God out. They're doing a favor to God. And so we have the best of the best of the best. They've spent their whole lives disciplining themselves, practicing, studying to be this. To be this, to be the best of the best, to be loved by God. And yet here's God incarnate. And he doesn't really seem to care about that other stuff. And so here they are, and they see the tax collectors, and they see the sinners, and they're looking at Jesus, and they're going, Jesus, don't you know who these people are? Like, Jesus, if you're religious, if you love God, like you say to a religious person, Jesus, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be talking to these people. You shouldn't even be, like, around these people. They're scum. They're awful. They're dirty. They're disgusting. They're worthless. You should be hanging out with us, Jesus. We're the we're the best of the best. And that seems harsh, right? That seems harsh, but I'll be honest with you. As, as I'm studying this and looking at this, and I'm thinking of what it would have been like for me if I was around in that time, I might have been like, I think they have a point. And I'm sure that's not what you want to hear from the pastor, but they kind of have a point. Because as we look at these tax collectors, as we look at these uh, the sinners, as they're labeled, like, there's some pretty rotten people, actually. Like, the tax collectors, you're thinking, isn't that weird that they put would throw the tax collectors in this? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's kind of like me making fun of the lawyers earlier. Like, I mean, nobody likes paying their taxes, but you're just like, I mean, I'm not saying they should go to hell for that, right? But let me give you kind of some more background so you can understand why there's so much hatred and vitriol for these guys. These These tax collectors were literally enemies of their own country. Excuse me, not their own country, enemies of their own people. And so what you have going on is these, these tax collectors, to give you more background, they, they're in Rome at the time, and Rome has this massive, massive, massive nation at the time. They've conquered all of the known world at this time, basically. 
And so as they have this giant country, they've got to control this giant country. And so what do you do if you have to control these massive, massive amount of space? The best way to do it is with a standing army. And so these the Roman government, they set up this standing army, but how do you keep a standing army supplied and paid? Christians read ahead. You collect taxes. And so what they would do is they wouldn't send in people from Rome to collect taxes from the Jewish people. They would literally hire Jewish people to collect taxes from their own people to supply the government that was oppressing them, that was in charge of them, right? It was great to be in Rome as long as you were Roman, but if you weren't Roman, it was a bad place to be. And so there's literally this government that's oppressing these people. They're using an army to control these people they're oppressing. And you literally have Jewish people not just being hired by the Roman government. They would purchase the opportunity. So they literally purchase, like purchasing a franchise, they would purchase the opportunity to collect taxes from their people to keep their people oppressed. They were traitors to their own people. It would be like the closest comparison that I could think of would be if Russia invaded the United States. I'm not going to use Canada again. If Russia had invaded the United States, they have kept a standing army here in Texas, and literally your neighbor down the street is collecting taxes for the Russian government to help keep you oppressed. How are you going to feel about that person? Let me, let me make it more personal. Say that happened and I was the one who did it. You're not coming to this church anymore, are you? <laughs> These guys were traitors to their own people. And not only were they traitors to their own people, but they were getting rich doing it because they would collect 50, 60, 70% of your income and then they would add on another 20% that would go straight into their pocket. So not only is he oppressing you, but he's got the new Lexus and the new beach house because of it. So you might understand why the religious people are looking at Jesus and going, why are you spending your time with these traitors? Why are you wasting your time? Don't you know who they are? So we've got the tax collectors, and then you've got the people that, that they label as the sinners. And the sinners, you got, um, in that group of people, you've got the typical sinners, you know, <laughs> the typical ones like the prostitutes. you got them in there. But then also you have an, an interesting group of sinners that were crippled, the lame, the blind, the lepers. You have all these different people that are that are grouped into sinners, and they weren't really sinners, so they've got it kind of got it wrong. But what they had at this time was this belief that if you were crippled, blind, lame, had a, an ailment, any of those kinds of things, it was because God was punishing you for this wretched, evil sin that you had done. And so they had this belief that it was kind of like a karma deal where because you had all these sins or because your parents did this certain sin, God was punishing you by making you blind or God was punishing you by giving you leprosy, right? And we know that's not true, but that's what they thought at this time. That was what the cultural ideal was at the time. And so the, so the Pharisees are looking at the tax collectors and going, these are evil, awful, disgusting people. And they're looking at the other group of people, the prostitutes and the lame and the other people labeled as the sinners and going, they're such bad sinners that God's punishing them for it by striking them blind. God's punishing them for it by making them, making them lame. And so as they're looking at him, you can imagine why they would be confused. Why they would ask Jesus, why do you care about these people? What are you? What are you thinking? Like, that's why it's such a big deal. We always sung the story. That's why it's such a big deal 
whenever Jesus tells Zacchaeus, come down from the tree, man, I'm going to your house. They're shocked because to eat with someone, Zacchaeus was a tax collector, to eat with someone in their home was a sign of love and deep friendship. And so that's why they're saying he's spending their time with them and he's eating with them. He's sharing hospitality. He's becoming the friend of sinners. Like think of the worst person that you know, right? And imagine Jesus being here and being like, yeah, that's who I'm going to go hang out with and befriend. No. We're like, Jesus, smite them, <laughs> right? Strike them down. Send the lightning bolts. Don't friend them on Facebook. Get rid of them. They're evil. They're awful. Think KKK. Think the worst of the worst. These people were traitors to their country. These people were, in the eyes of the Pharisees, stricken by God, punished by God for their sins. And so they look at Jesus and they go, why? And Jesus' response is beautiful, isn't it? My God, man, he's so good. Like, and Jesus is smooth, right? Because they come to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, why are you hanging out with these, why are you hanging out with these sinners? Why are you hanging out with these tax collectors? He's like, well, let me tell you a story, right? And in, in our lives, we really hate people like that, don't we? Like people you try to get a straight answer from and they, they're speaking in parables and just confusing you. That's kind of where Jesus goes. He's not trying to confuse people. He's just like, let me tell you a story to illustrate. He's a poet. Let me illustrate for you why. And so what I want us to do, and I'm actually not going to spend much time in these stories at all. Um, we're just going to read through them. But what I want you to do is see Jesus' response. And he tells three stories. We're going to cover two of them today, and we're going to get to the last one next week. But I, what, I want you to, what I want you, River Church, to get from this today is I want you to see how Jesus is challenging the Pharisees, how Jesus is challenging the scribes, and in connection, how Jesus is challenging us to change the way we see the world around us, to change the way, the way, to change the way we see people around us. So they come to Jesus and say, Jesus, why are you spending your time with these sinners? Why are you spending your time with these tax collectors? And here's his response, verse 3. So he told him this parable, what man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the 99 in an open field, kiss that, in an open field, and go after the lost one until he finds it? And when he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together saying to them, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need that repentance. And then just to, you know, just to really nail, drive the nail home, Jesus tells him another story. Or what woman who has 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search for it carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, rejoice with me because I have found the silver coin I lost. I tell you in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. The first story that Jesus tells, the parable of the lost sheep, is one of the most famous stories in the Bible, isn't it? Like as I was telling you that story, you were probably remembering the painting in your back, back of your mind of Jesus carrying the lamb on his shoulders. Any of you guys go there? I do, yeah. Yeah, when you walk in, that is famous. What he does is he tells this story. They come to him and say, Jesus, why do you care so much about these people? Why are you spending your time with these people? He tells the story of a shepherd who, even though he has 99 other sheep, cares so immensely about, about the one that he's willing to leave the 99 
risk his own life and risk the lives of the 99. If you don't notice, it says that he left them in an open field where they could have gone, wandered anywhere. To climb over cliffs, to climb over rocks, to, to search and search and search until he finds the one. And then when he does, he doesn't just leave it home. He picks it up, puts it on his shoulders, and he carries that lamb home. What a beautiful story. Jesus says, when we get that sheep home, when we get that lamb home, I call all my friends together and we party. Because that's how much I care about the one. And then he tells a story about, the second story about the woman who lost the coin. She has ten. She loses the one. Now she has nine. And she searches and searches her house. She turns over the chairs. Like, Have you ever lost anything in your house? Uh, Raise your hand. you ever lost anything in your house? I, I have. Um, as a matter of fact, I'm getting worse and worse about that. Like, I used to be so good. Kept my keys in the same place, wall in the same place, phone in the same place. Now I don't know where any of them are. That's why I have to get an Apple Watch so I can, like, know what, what people call me. That's not the real reason. But, yeah, when, when you lose something in your house, what do you do? You go crazy, don't you? A few months back, I lost my wallet in our house. And so I'm looking everywhere. I'm looking all over the place. I'm like turning over the couch. I'm like all the cushions are everywhere. And to make matters worse, Katie and I were in the middle of a big fight. And so it's one of those things where I'm like walking around the house looking for stuff. And the more I'm looking for it, the angrier I'm getting, right? And like not only am I getting more angry, I'm getting more angry at her, right? So it's not her fault, but I'm like walking around looking, take him at Katie, would you? And like I'm in my the back of my head, I'm like blaming her because I'm like, she hid my wallet. Like, she knows I've got to go. She knows how much I hate being late. Like, and if you know me, you know how much I hate being late. She knows these things. That woman hid my wallet. And so as I'm walking around looking, I'm getting more and more and more angry at her. Like, the house is destroyed. Like, I couldn't find it anyways because I've destroyed the house, right? And then finally, it's always the last place you put it, right? That's what they say. So finally, I'm looking around the house, and I look at Gideon's toy box. And I walk over to the toy box, and I dump it over. And at the bottom of that toy box is my wallet. And you know what I realized? Katie stole my wallet, hid it in Gideon's toy box, and blamed it on him. Vindictive woman, guys, I'm telling you. <laughs> but what happens when we lose something of value, especially the keys, the wallet, the phone? We do whatever it takes to find it, don't we? <laughs> And so we see the story of the woman. She searches the house, searches the house, searches the house, does whatever it takes. She finds it. And she calls her friends. And, and I love that part of the story because that's a personal thing. Like, it's just her, it's just one coin, right? But she's so excited about it that she calls her community to celebrate with her, to rejoice with her about the one lost coin that she found. So what is Jesus telling us by these stories? What is he, what is he saying to these Pharisees who are asking, why are you wasting your time on these people? Why are you spending so much time on these people? What are you, what are you doing? What he's telling to these people, his response is, you have no idea how deeply I care about the one. You have no idea the immense value And not just the one, but the one that you consider worthless. The one that you consider a lost cause. The one that you consider too far gone. I care so much about the one 
that I leave the 99 and I search and I search and I search until I find the one and I put it on my shoulders and I carry it, him or her home. And I love that because Jesus doesn't just say this in a story, but he backs it up with his death and resurrection on the cross. And what we learn about this beautiful story is that we are all the one, actually. Check this out from Romans chapter 5, starting at verse 6. It says, for while we were still helpless, talking about us, this is about all of us in the room. While we were still helpless at the appointed time, Christ died for the ungodly. I want you to pay attention to what he, how he talks about us. For while we were still helpless at the appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely would someone die for a just person, though even for a good person, perhaps someone might die, right? We like it when the superhero dies for the just person, for the good person, the person who deserved to be saved. It says, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, we will be saved through him from wrath. For while we were, check this out, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. If you're a Christian in here today, that is one of the most beautiful passages in all of scripture. We were, here's what it says, we were the helpless, we were the ungodly, we were sinners, we were the enemies of God. I hate to tell you guys this, but if we were born back then, the Pharisees would have been saying, Jesus, why are you wasting your time on those people? about us. God died for us. God proved at the cross how he feels about the worthless. God proves how he cares about the sinners, the tax collectors, the no good, the rotten, the dirty, right? He proves how he feels. And so what he's saying to those tax collectors, what he's saying to those sinners, what he's saying to those people who, remember, they're sitting there, they're there, they're hearing the conversation. You ever been in a place you felt like you shouldn't have been and you heard people talking about you? You know what I'm talking about? You're like, I know they're talking about me. I don't think I'm good enough to be here. They don't think I should be here. You ever been in one of those situations? I mean, not you. Not me either. Other people. Other people. They knew what was going on. They knew that the Pharisees are talking about them. Jesus, why are you wasting your time on them? The story that Jesus tells was for those people as much as it was for the Pharisees. And what he's saying to them is, you have no idea how much I value you. You have no idea how much I love you. You've been hated on. You've been spit spit on. You've been ignored. You've been looked down on. But to me, by the way, the only one that matters, Jesus, to me, you have immense value. This is not here for you. I've come for you. I've come to take you home. And what I want us to catch today is maybe you are in here today and you feel more like the tax collector than you feel like the Pharisee. Which, by the way, I don't know which one would be worse to feel like. What I want you to catch today is that that you are so incredibly loved and valued and cherished by God. You have no idea. through your struggles, through your weakness, through your sins, through your greatest sins. Jesus is chasing you down. He is coming after you. He has left the 99 to come and pick you up and put you on his shoulders and carry you home. And I would say, I'm, I don't, not, not, not in an arrogant way, but I would say the fact that you're here today to hear this message is even proof of God chasing you down in this moment. He loves you. 
who cares for you, he cherishes, cherishes you. You are, as we say often here, you are more than your greatest mistake. You are more than what the world says about you. You are a child of God, created in the image of God, loved and cherished by the creator of the universe. And don't you ever for a moment forget that. Sometimes we need to be reminded of who we are, don't we? And today I want you to be reminded of that. You are loved and cherished, created in the image of the God of the universe. And he is chasing you down to save you, maybe, to redeem you, maybe. Or maybe today you're already saved. Maybe you're already a Christian. Maybe he just needs to change the way you view yourself in light of him. Maybe you need to hear what he has to say about you. Sometimes in order to change our lives, in order to to be transformed by Jesus, we need to be reminded of how Jesus sees us. And that's how he sees you today. Don't you forget. Don't you forget. But this story wasn't just a story to the tax collectors and the sinners. This is also a story to the Pharisees. Probably more to the Pharisees than the tax collectors and sinners, right? And if you're in here today and, and maybe you're like, man, I'm not a, I'm not one of those people, but maybe you have a propensity to lean towards judgment or we lean towards looking down on people. We lean towards even seeing people and, and I don't know. So I, maybe you're, maybe you're not like me, but for me, sometimes I have a hard time. I have to check myself because I'll, I'll look down on people, right? What I want us to hear today is I believe God is challenging us to change how we see people around us by this story. I believe that God is challenging us to see in our worlds that every person that we come in contact with has immense value to the creator of the universe. To, the, to our God, they have immense value, right? Like what I, I, I feel like as I was working on this, I feel like God is challenging us to change the way we see the people that we come in contact with on a daily basis. To see our own selves as missionaries in the world around us. To create this culture of people who love the people that we come in contact so much that, that we see every person as someone specially designed and created by God who he wants to save and transform their lives. C.S. Lewis said this, is there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. That's good, isn't it? There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. What does that mean? Every person you encounter has a soul. Every person you encounter, God created. And so what I want to happen is we as a church, as Christians, we need to have a godly perspective on how we view the world around us. Regardless of race, regardless of gender, regardless of creed, regardless of how evil they even may be. It, it The whole things that happened a couple weeks ago broke my heart. And it broke my heart. I'm talking about the, the race um, the KKK rise and all that kind of stuff that broke my heart um, because there's so much anger on every single side. And as I was looking at the KKK members who I'm wanting to hate and I want to be so just because they're just despicable people, my heart is still broken as I'm reading this. And I'm, I'm angry at myself for the way I felt two weeks ago because even as I look at those KKK members, I'm reminded that they are children of God, created by God, loved by God, whom he's seeking after, chasing after, and would save and redeem and transform if only they would allow it. And it breaks my heart because I want to have a transformed mindset when I see those people as well 
instead of the hate that I felt rising up in myself. And that's an extreme example, but I think it plays into your Starbucks barista. Am I right, Stephen? It plays into your waiter at the restaurant you eat at. It plays into it plays into your neighbors. It plays into the the the, the Verizon customer service rep that you want to come through the phone at, right? It plays into your coworker who drives you nuts. It plays into your boss who's cheated you. It plays into your coworker who's gone behind your back and hurt your career because of what they've done. It it plays into every person we come in contact with. It plays into your spouse, your friends, your kids, your all these people were souls that Jesus died for. And here's the cool thing about this as I was thinking through this is that it's not just a challenge that we would change the way we see the people around us or that we would change the way we view the world around us because let's be honest, well, I'm not going to go there. Change the way that we see the world around us, right? Because here's the thing about it is that if we could change the way we viewed people and change the way we saw people, we had a, a, a godly mindset or we had a redemption mindset about the way that we saw people around us, we wouldn't maybe see them as annoyances or people that drive us crazy. or what, and, and that would be hard to fight, right? I'm not saying this is an easy thing. But what if God were to transform the way we saw people around us? Instead of seeing those things, we saw them as a salvation story that maybe we get to play a part in. What if it's, you're like, every day you're asking, God, why did you put this person in my life? They drive me crazy. What if we ask God, why did you put this person in my life? What do you want me to do to impact their lives, to lead them to you, to show you to them? What if we could transform the way we see people into that? I think then we might have some baptisms up in this place, don't you think? We might have some life change stories up in this place if we could be transformed in that way. And so that's my challenge for you today. And really, that's why we do everything that we do here at the Rivers, because we believe that Jesus is seeking the one. We believe Jesus is chasing down the one, and we want to have a part to play in those salvation stories. We want to have a part to play in those life transformations. That's what I'll even tell you a really badly kept secret. That's even what 10 for 1 is about, guys. Like, absolutely. Is it about blessing Whitley School? Is it about renovating that teacher's lounge? Is it about showing those heroes at that school that that we believe in what they do? Absolutely. But what it's about even more than that is hoping that a whole bunch of people show up that day and through seeing those good works, through seeing how we love our community, through seeing what we do, they'd see why we do it. And the reason why we do it is because of Jesus Christ. And because we love people because he first loved us and we want to see life transformed because he has, praise God, transformed us, right? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were the enemies of God, Christ died for us. And so that's even what 10 for 1 is about. And so I, I want to challenge you guys this. I know we've been talking about, yeah, pack it out. Let's bring a whole bunch of people so we can bless the school. I want to pack it out, but I want to pack it out the right way. And here's what I mean by that. Don't invite the aunts and uncles and the brothers and the sisters and the moms and dads who go to church, who love Jesus, who are good to go. Invite the skeptics. Invite the doubters. Invite the people who probably don't even want to be here. Invite the people who are seeking. Invite the people who are lost 
Invite the people that maybe until today you're going, I don't even want to spend another hour with that person. Invite the people that maybe God has put in your life so that you might have a story or you might be a part of their salvation story. Because what I would love more than anything is to pack it out with the skeptics, with the doubters, with the hurting. See God transform and change their lives because ultimately that's what 10 for 1 is about. That's why we do everything that we do. God, I love you. Thank you for who you are. God, thank you that, man, God, thank you that when people looked at me and said, Jesus, why are you wasting your time on Mike? Don't you know who he is? You said, let me tell you a little story. God, thank you that you're the God who risks all for the one. Thank you that you're the God who looks at the sinners and the tax collectors and doesn't see, you don't see sinners and tax collectors. You see children of God. You see people created in the image of God. You see people loved by God. And I pray that if there's anyone in here today who needs to be reminded that they are a child of God, that they are loved by you, that they are immensely valued by you, Father, I pray that you would remind them in their spirit, that you would remind them in their soul, that they are so loved and treasured by you. God, and I pray that that knowledge would transform the way that they live their life, that it would transform the way they see the world around them, that it would transform the way they see you, and it would transform the way they see themselves. And God, I pray that, that in this place, that you would help us to, to change the way we see the people around us in our world, that we wouldn't look down on them, we, we wouldn't see them as whatever it is, but we would see them as people whose, whose stories we have a part to play. God, we want to change on 10 for 1 Sunday. We want to change the way some people see you. But before that happens, Lord, I believe we have to change the way we see some people. And so, God, I pray that you would help us do that, Lord. I pray that you would transform us. It's in Christ's name we pray.